Well, as Anne said, this is a series of three messages all about faith. Uh, and Matt started it off next week. This is the second one. And it's about faith in the future, faith for the future. The reading is from Hebrews, and I think it might be just worth mentioning the background that this is a letter probably written by Paul, or there are various thoughts about anybody else who might have written it, but it's probably written by Paul. And it's written to the Hebrew Christians, the Jewish people, who had made converted to a belief in Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, and uh, they were probably being persecuted, mostly probably by other Jews who didn't, uh, who didn't believe the same thing. And they would be having a tough time. And this letter is written to them to encourage them to stand firm as Christian converts by reminding them about the the superiority and the sufficiency of Christ and faith in Jesus. So the reading is from chapter 11 in Hebrews, and it's quite short. It's just verses 13 to 16. <clears throat> and these verses follow on from verses earlier, describing what one Bible calls the great heroes of faith, Abraham Isaac and Jacob and this is what it says all these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for those who say such things make clear that they're seeking a country of their own and indeed, if they'd been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. So God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. If we think about Abraham for a moment, in Genesis 12, we read that God said to him, leave your own country behind you and your own people and go to the land I will guide you to. Now, if you do, I will cause you to become a great nation. Now, Abraham was 75. I don't know what you might feel like when you're 75, but I do remember being 75 quite a while ago. And I didn't feel like leaving my own country and my own people and going anywhere except on a holiday. <clears throat> but he told them, he told Abraham that's what to do. Now, well, Abraham was wealthy. He had uh, lots of property, cattle and everything else. He was, he was settled and secure where he was. Why would he move? But he did what God had told him and he set out with all his family, and that included a wider family of cousins. It had Lot and all these other people. And he went on this long and dangerous journey. It would be into what was him, uh, unknown territory. And of course, there weren't any cars or whatever. So one assumes that they went on foot or by donkey or whatever else they had to travel on. But it was a long, tedious journey. And we know from reading that he had lots of 
difficulties and dangers. But eventually he arrived in Canaan, the promised land, but he never believed that was his final destination. And of course, he never saw the fulfillment of God's promise, which was to make him into a great nation. He knew he wouldn't live that long, obviously. But he believed God's promises and he trusted him for the future fulfillment of those promises. So basically all these people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and many others like them, were on a journey through life and experiences following God's promises. They all had good times and bad times, but their faith never wavered. And we're on that sort of journey too. And I think what it's like when you go on a lengthy journey, perhaps on holiday, perhaps on a visit to family or friends, maybe even abroad, it's the destination that you have in mind. And that's what you look forward to. It doesn't matter how comfortable the car is, or the train, or the plane, or however nice the hotel room that you might have an overnight stay, how nice the views you see out of the window, how nice the food, however delicious that may be, you might enjoy them for the moment, but only for that moment. You're actually on a journey and you want to get to where you plan to go. You want to get to the destination because that's the reason you're doing it. It's the end of the journey and getting to the destination that's uppermost in your mind. The rest is transitory, a, a, a passing episode on the journey. And that's a good analogy, obviously, for the Christian life. Believers in Christ know that this earthly scene is transitory. It's part of our journey to our heavenly home. We can hopefully enjoy as much of it as we can while we're here, but only for the time, it might be long, might be short, that we are here. Our true destination is in heaven with Christ, and that's what we've been promised. And that's how these saints in the Old Testament, like Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they saw things like that too. They were seeking a better country. They had good times and bad times, but the most notable thing about their lives is that they didn't give up. They lived by faith in what they'd been promised. They had a clear conviction about their destination and they persevered no matter what. They could have turned back, but they didn't. They had faith for their future. And that's what we're about. And as our reading said, although they could have turned back and returned to where they'd come from with all that security, they didn't. Hebrews 11 is all about encouraging the Christian Jews and us, of course, to follow that example. That's why that letter has been handed down to us as part of Holy Scripture. We're called to be like those who came before us. There's a crucial question here. Are you following the Lord only because of the blessings you hope to receive in this life? Or are you following the Lord regardless because you trust his promises of eternal life and his promise 
to see you safely to your heavenly home with him. There was a time when uh, I thought I could bargain with God in the sense that if one of the children, if one of them was away from home, especially late at night, and I was wanting them to come home safely, I would promise all sorts of good behaviour to God on my part, provided they stayed safe and secure. That usually lasted until they actually got home. Now, but now I know better. God doesn't depend on me to fulfil his promises. He is faithful and true, and he loves them even more than I do. They're always safe in his hands, no matter what transpires. This life has difficulties. We all know that because none of us is insulated from them. We have troubles, we have difficulties, however fortunate we might be in other ways. Being a Christian doesn't change that, and Jesus never promised that it would. In fact, he makes clear that in this life we will have trouble, sometimes just because we follow him. Many others around the world are persecuted and put their lives at risk because they follow him. Throughout history, and that includes recent history and the present day, there are many examples of wonderful Christians who've persevered in the face of persecution, hardship, <coughs> sacrifice, trouble and death to maintain their faith in the promises they received from Jesus. Anyone can praise the Lord when everything's going fine. It's during times of difficulties and challenges that we can show our faith in God. And this is a great reality of everyone in Hebrews 11. Moses, for example, he was never able to enter the promised land. Even the generation of Joshua never fully knew the rest they were seeking. And there were others like Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets, they never received in full what had been promised. At the end of chapter 11, we are told that all the Old Testament saints, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive in this life the fulfilment of what was promised, but they didn't lose faith in those promises. Bear in mind, too, they didn't have what we have. We've got the new covenant with all the abundant blessings that have come to us in it. God doesn't deal with us any more on any, based on any external regulations of the law. Instead, God has put his laws into our minds and our hearts, giving us a willingness to follow his will. We're not any longer far off and estranged from God. Instead, God has claimed us as his people and his children. And we've already said how much he loves his children. The old, uh, the old covenant saints could only look forward to the day when these things would come. Our reading says they died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them, and having welcomed them from a distance. That's all they could do. 
but they persevered in faith. How very different it is for us. We live in the days of the new covenant. Jesus has come and lived among us and we've seen in him the fulfillment of what they only looked for. We've got a new identity as children of God, loved and cherished by him who's faithful and true and never lets us down. And there's plenty for us to look forward to as well. There's more to come. Plenty to anticipate. Rosalind and I, we've had the privilege of meeting uh, some, spending some time with somebody who actually literally expects that Jesus is coming today or tomorrow, very soon. It's the way they live their life and that's what we should be doing. Jesus' first coming inaugurated his kingdom. His second coming, whenever that might be, today, tomorrow, or whenever, that will complete the process. And while we wait, we can be sure and certain in our hope of the fulfilment of everything that he promised. I was reading the other day about Winston Churchill's, whatever you might think of Winston Churchill, he was a great man, reading about his funeral that he planned. And I think it gives a great picture of where our hearts should be. Uh, he, what, as he directed it, there was a bugler placed high up in the cathedral on one side, and he played, after the benediction, the sound of taps, which uh, those of us who've been in the service will know that says the day is over. The day is over. Immediately after that, on the other side, another bugler played Rivelli. They used to play that at six o'clock in the morning when I was in the RF. It's horrible. Anyway, it says, it's time to get up and get going. It's time to get up and get going. And I think that's a picture for those of us who have a heavenly hope of the place that God has prepared for us and promised us. It's the inspiration for a living hope and trust in the God who's completely faithful in all his promises. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, they didn't turn back to the security of the land from which they came, the land of their origin. They stayed true to their faith in God's promises and God honoured that with what Paul says at the end of that reading that we had. It said, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them. It's the place God has prepared for all who believe. The patriarchs died in faith, but they lived in hope because they were secure in God. And we are secure in God. They completely trusted in his faithfulness to deliver what he promised. God never fails in his promises. We should be like them. We can be confident in our faith, which looks to the future. We have a living hope and trust in the one true God who keeps all his promises and never lets us down. We're going to sing in a moment that wonderful great hymn, Great is his faith, great is thy faithfulness. We're going to sing that in a moment and then we're going to share in communion. But let's pray first. Let's pray.
Father God, we trust in you, we trust in your faithfulness that never fails. And we ask that we might be faithful in our own belief and worship, just as you are always faithful to us. Father God, help us to do that. It's not easy always, but we trust you to give us the strength to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen.